Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message. This week, I want to start uh, out by talking about something that is incredibly relevant uh, in today's culture, and that's about the religious beliefs of Thomas Jefferson, okay? So first and foremost, most of us know Thomas Jefferson, hopefully. Uh, One of our founding fathers, arguably, with the exception of Washington, the most well-known, has his face on two separate pieces of currency uh, of ours. Uh, The first Secretary of State, Ambassador to France, second Vice President of the United States, third President, Again, the man's got a pretty good rap sheet of all the things he's done for us. When he grew up, he actually grew up Episcopalian, grew up very involved in the church. As he went to college, he began reading different uh, deistic points of view, and he kind of uh, ascribed to that for most of his life, meaning that he believed in a God, but that God was very distant, and that God didn't exactly... uh, like interfere in our day-to-day lives. Um, he didn't exactly, you know, speak to us, nothing like that. But uh, he did believe in God in this particular thing. And, but he specifically loved Jesus, not in the way that we love Jesus for what he's done for us, but he loved specifically the teachings of Jesus, like loved Sermon on the Mount, 100%. He called Jesus the greatest moral teacher we ever had. Not only that, but he would talk about like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. He's like, they're fools. They don't know what they're talking about. But Jesus, Jesus does know what he's talking about. Pretty bold words. But he praised Jesus's teachings for being both childlike and yet something that we can hang our entire identity on. From these teachings. He talked about the teachings of it being the teachings of a good man. So he rejected all supernatural aspects of Jesus. So being the Son of God, he rejected immaculate conception. He rejected and actually went as far to go into his Bible, take a razor blade and glue. He cut out all the teachings of Jesus or anything that referred to his life that wasn't supernatural, and then put them chronologically, took did that to all the gospels put them chronologically in order in his own book called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, So, again, it began with Jesus was born. Any mention of the star, any mention of immaculate conception, all of that didn't mention that. And it ended with Jesus was put in a tomb after he died. That's it. Like, this is what he believed about Jesus. He didn't apply anything to us, but he read this day and night. He read this all the time. This was one of his consistent things that he read. Again, a very very intelligent man. Kind of missed it on this part of it, right? Believe, thoroughly believed that the teachings were the best in the world in terms of morality. He believed that it made you a good man. But he also called himself a Christian. He continued to call himself a Christian throughout his life. Now, I'm going to be so bold to say that none of us have ever went through and said, I don't agree with that, and cut it out of your Bible and repasted it into a new book, right? Hopefully not. But the fact is, a lot of times what we do is when we read something that doesn't exactly match our practices or our beliefs, we kind of just ignore it. We don't read that particular passage. We treat it kind of like that one closet everyone has in their house. You know, like you're like, man, everything's clean. And someone's like, what about that closet? And you're like, shh, we don't talk about that closet. 
Or if you've got things a little more together, you've got that one drawer, you know, that's got scissors, batteries, all that other kind of stuff in that. Or if you're like me, you have both. So we treat it like that to where we say, listen, none of this, like, well, we don't read that part. Or if we're a little more spiritual, we say, well, with that, you know, God's grace is abundant. And we slide in under grace under this particular commandment of ours rather than try to change ourselves or rather than try to apply it to our particular lives. And again, this is so easy to do that we fall for it constantly. And we often do this. And by the way, one of the biggest hesitations that believers have about coming to church or being involved in any sort of Christianity is this fact. That they see people who say particular things or I ascribe to the entire Bible as the Word of God and then live directly contradictory to what the Word of God says. Now, that's not saying that we're going to be perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. I hope you don't either. If you do, come talk to me after. We've got some things to discuss. But we do know that we are called to live more like Jesus every day. We're called to pursue Him. We're called to be more like Him in our lives. And part of doing that, if we're going to ascribe to the Word of God, if we're going to commit our lives to living by this particular book, it really, really helps to know what the book says. Right? So the importance of um, having good doctrine in our lives and knowing what we believe and why we believe it is incredibly important to the believer, to the follower of Christ. We have to understand why we believe what we believe. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read a couple passages of Scripture. So just to give you a background on this, uh, Paul is writing this to Timothy. This is at the end of Paul's life. Timothy, uh, he, calls, he references him as my son. Uh, Paul references Timothy that way. Um, Timothy is uh, struggling with this church that he's pastoring in Ephesus. He's struggling with it. Like him and Paul, you know, they've done this. They've planted churches. They knew that people would come in and try to change the way things were. They warned the people against that. And yet a lot of the people still fell for it. So it's not only do you have dissenters and you have people teaching bad doctrine, but you have people who are actually following them in that bad doctrine. So Timothy is, uh, sends this letter to Paul in order to encourage him. And he says this, Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word, good work. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us, um, it's more than a guideline. It's more than a set of principles, but God giving us your, leave, your living, breathing word. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to to share with my church family, God, what you've laid on my heart. God, I thank you for all that you do for us every day. I pray that as we we read Scripture, that we read it um, with an open mind. We read it um, and use it to look inside of ourselves to see where we need to improve, to see where we can be more like you. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. So we read a few different things about Scripture in this particular part. The first thing we read is that it is God-breathed. So if the Bible is as Jefferson believes, then we can, 
we could say that it's just a good book of guidelines. And listen, there are a lot of people who do not ascribe to the church or ascribe to Christianity who will say the Bible's filled with some really good stuff. Again, people will quote Scripture who have never attended church, who have never read the Bible in its entirety, who don't study it. They just say, I really like this one particular verse, so this is the one I'm going to hang my hat on. They use it to try to refute uh, beliefs of different people. Uh, specifically, if a Christian says something, they'll say, oh, well, what about this verse? And they'll take it completely out of context. A lot of people say that the Bible is filled with good words, Again, Jefferson believed, and listen, this is a thing that makes a good man, these principles that Jesus taught. But if we truly believe that it is the living, breathing, inerrant Word of God, it's a lot more than a book of guidelines, right? It means so much more to us than just a book of guidelines. It is the Word of the Lord, and it dictates everything in us. It dictates how we pray. It dictates how we serve. It dictates how we love people. It dictates how we, uh, how we do anything. comes from this, from this book. It's far beyond a book. The stakes are so much higher than just being a point or a book of guidelines. It says a few more things. Uh, Paul tells Timothy that it is useful for teaching. That's why whenever we get up here and we preach on Sunday mornings, or whether you go to a Bible study, or whether you go uh, to a life group in someone's home, wherever it is, whether it's here and in one of the rooms or in a living room, we use Scripture as the basis for what we teach. Because, believe it or not, my opinions are not perfect. I know that shocks many of you, and neither are yours. That shocks even more of you. You know, our opinions are not perfect, which is why that everything that we teach is based out of this. And if it means so much to us that we are intentional to read it as it was, as it was meant to be read, and we interpret it in the way that it was meant to be read, then it doesn't just mean we read it and say, well, that's what you've got. We study it. We go over it. We look at the historical context. We look at the literary context. What did the author mean when he was saying it? We read it as the Word of God to understand it as well as we can. Paul tells Timothy it's useful for rebuking. When we surrender our lives to Christ, we surrender our lives to a moral standard that the Lord has set before us. Far too often we want to just, you know, we want to say the quick prayer, get baptized, and then we're good. But that's not the case. The story of the woman who was being stoned or who was about to be stoned for adultery, Jesus didn't just tell her, where are your accusers? And leave it there. He gave her a command after. What was the command? Sin no more. There was something to follow along with that, right? There was a command beyond that. Whenever we give our lives to the Lord, we're not only just saying yes to Christ, we're saying yes to Christ and the things that He taught us to do. We're saying yes to God and the things that He commands of us to do. But again, we're not perfect. So Paul discusses several times in Scripture how to approach brothers and sisters who are living in sin. Rebuke must be done through a scriptural basis with a love for God's Word and for the person. If, if, listen, if you love rebuking people, I, I, I don't understand that, but if you're like, I'm about to destroy this person, you're probably rebuking someone in the wrong way, right? We approach people when they're doing things wrong because, number one, we love the Word of God and we love the Lord with all of our hearts. 
And number two, we love the person who ascribes to Christianity, who has given their life to Him as well. We don't approach them to you know, get them. We don't approach them to win. We approach them because we care too much about them to not say something to them. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy. I'm not claiming it is. But if we do it in a scriptural way, if we do it as the Word of God has laid out for us to do it, then we're doing it out of the love for the Lord and love for the person. It's useful for correcting. Scripture shows us how to appropriately walk alongside the offender to bring them back to Christ. We can, again, as someone who does not love confrontation in any shape, form, or fashion, chances are if I approach you, um, and I, I'm saying, listen, I, I really want to see you come back to this point. I'm going to use the Word of God. Why? Because it is much more than my authority or much more than my opinion. As a pastor, if I'm talking to someone or discussing with someone, uh, you know, walking through, uh, maybe, maybe they have a, a sin no one else knows about. If I'm walking them through that, I'm not going to tell them, listen, you need to get your stuff together because that's what I would do. Nope. Listen, you need to be corrected because the Word of God tells us how to and tells us what it looks like to be done that way. It's useful for training in righteousness. Scripture helps us establish what it looks like to live a holy life, to die to our old selves and to be raised in Christ. Which, again, is not an easy thing to do every day. If we don't have instruction on how to do that, that sounds like a very strange thing to do. But whenever we have the Old Testament, we have the history of the world leading up to the Gospels, the life of Jesus, and we have the beginning of the church, and we have the doctrine that has been laid out before us in the epistles, we can read all of this and we can say, okay, I understand what it looks like to die to myself and to live for Christ. It's good for all of these things. And again... To go back to him, Jefferson thought it was guidelines of a good man. If we truly believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, then it's the difference between thinking it's a good book and being a book we're willing to, worth, or we're willing to die for. Or more importantly, to live for. To live our lives by. So what does this all mean? So how do, how do we apply this to us? I want to share three particular things with you today. <coughs> Forgive me. Three particular things with you today is that, and the first one is first and foremost, we must establish why we believe what we believe. Right? I can, t- I can tell you the sky's green. That's really, really easy for you to refute, right? Hopefully. But if I tell you, but if I believe that, I just say, I'll just believe it. That doesn't, that, that, that you're like, no, Blake, that's not the case, right? That's not what you should believe. We have to know why we believe what we believe. And I may, I may frustrate a few people here, but bear with me. Christian devotionals and Christian books can be very good resources for us to use. But, if, but to build a firm foundation, it has to be built on Scripture in its proper context. We have to build our foundation on Scripture. And the... And they should help us if it accurately portrays Scripture and not the author's point of view. In order to build a firm foundation on the Lord, we should not read a million Christian books or read a million Christian articles or do a million devotionals. We need to be reading the living, breathing, inerrant Word of God, first and foremost, and reading it correctly. 
Those things are, some of those things, I'll say some of those things, are great for helping us understand what we're reading. But if they are not accurately portraying the purpose and meaning of Scripture, then we need to not mess with them. We must remain students of the Word, asking questions, seeking answers, and seeking to grow, learn, and better understand God's character. I was talking to uh, somebody in our church the other day and um, was asking, you know, what is the Lord teaching you as an older gentleman? I said, what, are, what is the Lord teaching you right now? And he said, man, I've been in Proverbs for about six and a half months. Now, Proverbs is the book that we're like 31 chapters, 31 days, get through it in a month. But he's saying, the Lord won't let me move on from it. I keep learning so much. And again, like just hearing him say that kind of took me back. And again, as someone who is, uh, is, is 30 years old, it was like, oh, okay. You know, if he can spend six months in Proverbs, what's stopping me? Learning from Scripture, reading Scripture, not to check off something of a list to say, well, I've read my chapter for the day, but reading Scripture in order to learn more about the character of God is how we learn to establish good doctrine. Reading it correctly in its proper context as the Lord intended. And it's also very important that we understand that our doctrine cannot be established through our emotions. We believe a lot of things that try to make us feel that we try to do to make us feel better. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will straighten your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When we read Scripture as it's properly meant to, our emotions do not play into it. Now, does that mean we won't get emotional while reading? No, listen, Scripture is filled with beautiful truths. Beautiful truths that speak to us as imperfect individuals. But whenever we allow our emotions to dictate our doctrine, we begin building a God all our own. We have to read about God in Scripture in its proper context. And establish our doctrine to understand how to be more like God. You want to know more how to be more like the Lord? You want to understand that? Read Scripture. One of my favorite things uh, that I've heard Pastor Blaine say is he'll say people that, you know, we've all heard people say, well, if Jesus just appeared in front of us, if Jesus would just appear in front of us and tell us, I would believe. And Pastor Blaine will say, if Jesus appeared in front of you, he would speak from Scripture. We have the Word of God in front of us that helps us work through those difficult emotions, that helps us work through those difficult times in our life, who tells us how to give, how to love, how to serve. The second thing that we've got to understand is to effectively grow in the Lord, we must study solid doctrine. So if the goal is for every believer to look more like Jesus, we've got to understand what Jesus looks like, right? The temptation is oftentimes to, like, to take Scripture and to go through like a supermarket and just pick the parts out we want. And again, maybe a lot of that is based off um, things that you feel passionate about. I, I, I thoroughly believe, and I ask our students this, what are you passionate about? That God puts passions, different things in our hearts that He means for us to care about. Now listen, I'm going to be very transparent with you for a second. I, I love kids. I think that children's ministry is super important. I have a 
kid who's a year and a half old. I love that. But if you said, Blake, you can either teach 500 adults or five three-year-olds, I'm going with the adults every single time. The Lord did not call me to teach little kids. I don't, like it's, I don't even understand how you do it. Like, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But the Lord puts different things in our hearts. We're called to care about a lot of things, but the Lord has called you to a specific purpose in your life. And a lot of times we take that and we take those passages of Scripture and those are the ones we elevate above these other ones. Or we sit there and like we said earlier, we take the ones that may speak directly to the thing that we're bothered by or directly to the thing that we have issue with. And we say, well, I'm not going to look at those. Well, I was, I, was born, I was born with a temper. So whenever I react, that just is what it is. Who am, I, who am I to judge me, you know? To effectively grow in the Lord, we must study solid doctrine. We cannot pull out just the parts that we like. It is a complete united book from front to back, and we have to apply all of it to our lives. And you may say, but Blake, I'm not really good at liking people. Join the club. I'm just kidding. I love people. But listen, you may say, Blake, I'm just not really good at sharing the gospel. Nobody asked you to be good at it. Blake, I'm just, I just really don't think that the Lord would call me to serve. That's not what God does. God calls us to be faithful. If Scripture tells us to serve, we're called to serve. If Scripture tells us to share the gospel, we're called to share the gospel. It's not a little bit here and a little bit there. Either it's all true or it's all compromised. And the third thing we've got to realize is that if we have an issue with Scripture, that is our issue to deal with, not the Lord's. This is the most difficult thing, particularly with people in my generation, whenever you share stuff with them. A lot of people, um, they love the fact that Jesus stood up for those, who, or for those who were suffering and hurting. But whenever you get to some of the more difficult passages that culture does not agree with, that's a lot harder to justify. And we begin to pick and choose which ones we want. Paul tells Timothy this, by the way, and when we read it, it's like it was pulled directly from a book today. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves, teachers who suit their own passions. We live in a very, very big world with lots and lots of people. Almost to the point to where if there is something you have an issue with in Scripture, you can find someone who doesn't refer to that. Who doesn't talk about that particular thing that you don't like. Before I moved here, I worked um, for two years uh, in a secular world. I, I grew up in uh, northeast Mississippi uh, in a public school. I went to a community college, got to stay at my home church because of that. Went to Bible college for three and a half years. Uh, and then after that, I got a job in Nashville. And working with some of the guys I got the opportunity to work with, I finally began to understand what a lot of people's hesitations with Scripture was. Because in classes, I learned, oh, people will say this, but this is how you refute that. When I actually got out in the real world, I met those people. I met people who had been in church, who had grown up in church all their lives, who had been burnt by it. I met people who had grown up in church all their lives um, 
who did not want to attend anymore. I grew up with people, or I worked with people who just had kind of stopped attending. I grew up with those who'd never been in the church. I grew up with one guy who believed aliens were our overlords. True story. He was a nice dude. He was a little odd. But I got to discuss these different things. And what would happen oftentimes is these guys would come and they'd ask me questions about things. And a lot of them I got to share the gospel with. um, And I got to answer different questions that they had about Scripture and about the Lord. But whenever it came to questions like, why would would God send someone to hell who doesn't know anything about him? And we would discuss those. There was never a, oh, okay, moment. It was like a moment that you kind of could see in their eyes like, "Mm, now I remember. That's my issue. That's the problem I have. They love talking about the love and the forgiveness of God and the God who tells us to love the widows and the orphans. They love talking about that. They did not love talking about the holiness of God and His expectations for us. A lot of times we love this. We love talking about God's love and about how much He loves us and about how much He pursues us. And it's us, 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 us. But it's a lot more difficult when we start to talk about God's holiness, about God's perfection. And what we oftentimes want to do is, like I said earlier, is we want to take and we want to drown God's holiness in His grace. Right? This has, you know, well, you know what? God will show me grace regardless of what I do. And we end up taking advantage of grace. And this is not just unbelievers. This is believers as well. We end up taking advantage of the grace that God gives us. And if something that we read in Scripture makes us uncomfortable, that's expected. We're sinful creatures reading a perfect book. The words of a perfect God. It's designed to challenge us. If you read the Bible every single day and you walk away not challenged, I dare say you're reading it wrong. There's supposed to be that tension. There's supposed to be that inside of us that that makes us feel a little uneasy, that makes us look inside ourselves and say, oh, okay, here's the hang-up. Here's here's the thing that, that God wants me to do that I'm really nervous about. Here's the thing that doesn't make me, that doesn't, that's not in my comfort zone that God wants from me. And we shouldn't use Scripture to back up our opinions. Our opinions should be dictated by Scripture. Again, going back to it, there are people who are unbelievers who will quote Scripture in order to get their point across. That's nothing new. But as believers, whenever, we, whenever we're reading the Bible and something that we say, I don't really see that's a big deal, and Scripture calls it a big deal, that is not you saying, okay, God, you need to calm down on that. That's not what we should say. We should say, you know what? God, reveal to me why this matters more. God, reveal to me why, this, why, why is this the thing that, that I'm nervous about? Why is this the thing? That, that I don't want to share? Why is this the thing that pushes me beyond our comfort zone? Our issues with Scripture are not God's issues. They're our own issues. We have to know that. The last part of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17 says that we will be equipped for every good work. In order to fully serve the Lord with all of our hearts, we must establish our lives in the Word of God. It dictates the way we think. 
It dictates the opportunities we take. It dictates how we pray, how we serve, how we give. It dictates every aspect of our lives. The dangerous thing is when we don't know why we believe what we believe. Because the second that we end up getting hit in the mouth with something in our lives, then we're going, well, what has all this been for? I want to encourage you this week, church, as you read the Word, as you study the Word, as you seek the Lord in your quiet time through prayer, through Scripture, through memorization, whatever that is that you're doing as you do that, I want you to ask the Lord to show you the places in your, in your life where maybe you, don't, maybe you don't even recognize them. Maybe you're not actively being rebellious, but, you, but ask the Lord, show me where I need to seek you more. Show me the things holding me back that I'm hanging on to, even some of the things I don't know. Lord, help me with that. Because when we establish why we believe what we believe in its proper context, the Lord will begin to grow us more than we ever thought imaginable. He'll begin giving us opportunities to do His will. I share with students all the time, don't pray, God, save this person. Pray, Lord, give me the opportunity to show this person Jesus. The Lord's work works in people. The, Lord, the Holy Spirit works in people. Far too often we say, I don't want to do the work, Lord. Just you, you save them. God, I, I really don't want to serve in this particular place. Uh, I know you're calling me to serve in this particular ministry. But God, I really pray that you send somebody to serve in that ministry. God, I, I, really, I really don't want to have to have this particular conversation with my friend. But so God, send someone else to have that conversation with them. Maybe your inadequacy comes, or your feeling of inadequacy comes from a place of, but I don't really know a whole lot about the Bible. Well, congratulations, I've got really great news for you. It's not your work to do. God does the work, we're just called to be faithful in the opportunities He gives us. And if we're going to be faithful in those, if we're going to see those opportunities and take advantage of those opportunities and feel the boldness that God will give us for those opportunities, it has to be rooted in the Word of God. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for, for giving us not a guideline, Lord, not, of, not a list of principles, but Lord, for giving us your living, breathing, active word that we can read, that we can understand more about your nature, we can understand more about you, about your intentions, about your love and your grace and your mercy, but also your holiness. God, I pray that as we walk along in our lives, I pray that you give us opportunities to minister to people, God. And I pray that uh, when we read, that we read scripture, not just to check off a particular part of a list, not to just say that we did it, but God, that we read with the intention of being challenged, that we read with the intention of you speaking in our lives. God, I pray that when we do this, that we, that we are emboldened by what you say, that, we, we, that yes, we may fear what opportunities you give us. Yes, we may be nervous about them, about the unknown, but God, that in reading those words of yours, that you give us the power to do more than we can do ourselves. 
If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.